This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA Podcast Network. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson, and today I am here with special guest Stephen Gillespie, who I have podcasted with multiple times already this young college basketball season, and we are here to talk about one of the prospects that intrigues me most. Every time I watch him, I feel like I should be higher on him than I am draft stock-wise. And I think part of that is because he has a combination of skills that is pretty much guaranteed to get me excited about a prospect. And, of course, this is someone, Stephen, that you're quite excited about as well. So we're going to dive in depth on as well as Tubelis in a minute. But before we get started, Stephen, how are you doing this fine evening? I am doing excellent, Nick. It's uh, I'm loving that we're getting to do more work together already at this young draft cycle than we did collectively anytime before you know it's um i've always admired you know your your dedication to first off you do so much work for us you know as a editor for for no ceilings and you know the amount of work that i know that you put into the writing your podcasting weekly man like you do so much so um it's been an honor to get to work with you as much as i have already this early on and uh i know the real reason that you wanted to have me on the show was not only to talk about Azilis Tabellis of the Arizona Wildcats, but it's also for me to get a chance to clap back at the clap back from Corey Tulliba on Eli Manning. And I don't know, it just kind of sounded, um, tell me what quarterback didn't get a strong offense and defense. It, it, I don't know, like if that's your if that's your strongest argument for Eli Manning being a Hall of Famer uh, quarterback, I, I, don't, I don't know, man. Um, missed the playoffs a lot, though. I, I do know that, but... Uh, I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun to address the Eli Manning uh, conversation in the opening moments of the show. Well, I appreciate the kind words about me. As a native New Yorker, I kind of am obligated to be less inclined Uh to think positively about your kind words towards, or not kind (laughs) words, rather, towards Eli Manning. I admittedly have not been a fanatic follower of football for many years now, but I was living in New York City in 2008. And all I have to say about Eli Manning is he should be a Hall of Famer purely because he prevented Tom Brady and the New England Patriots from having an undefeated season. Like, the rest of his career, I think, is good enough that I'm willing to just bump him into the Hall of Fame purely for that purpose. I mean, that's so, I mean, he was a totally fine quarterback. I I will say that he was a, a very, very fine quarterback. Well, someone who might end up being a finer than fine quarterback is the basketball player that we're about to discuss. And the place where you started off with your as well as Tabellus article was discussing his passing. And as longtime listeners of the NBA Deep Dives podcast might know, I am pretty much always a sucker for big men who can really pass. It's the vast majority of the reason why I was so high on Nikola Jovic last season. And it's a huge part of why I feel like, again, every time I look at my board, I feel like I should have Tubelis higher. And 
that's mostly because of his passing because at his size at 611 you know someone who can and has played both forward and center for the Arizona Wildcats his ability to have the offense run through him to make good passing plays out of the post to throw good passes out of you know top of the key handoffs kind of thing he's got so many passes in his bag and that just allows him to fit in so well with so many other lineup constructions but steven i want to get your thoughts before i go into a tubelis rabbit hole here what did you think about his passing when you reviewed it on the film well what's interesting to me nick is that if you look at the the passing numbers i mean even this year he's around two assists per game we know that there are some guards that we're very intrigued with, even some perimeter-oriented prospects that we're very intrigued with in the season that are close to the same assist totals that Tubelist is giving you um, as a dominant big man in college basketball. And I think that that is, I, I'm I'm like you in that aspect. If if a big man has enough feel to where he can contribute to an offense without even scoring the ball, that's huge because. We know the NBA head coaches are extremely creative. You know, they they like to have the ball run through their big men at several moments in the game. And I think that the passing is the the crux of what makes Azulis Tabellis an NBA level basketball player is that you can have an offense run through him at different positions on the court that gives your that gives a, an NBA team a strategic advantage. You know, if you can run a horn set, if you can run DHOs. If you can pass the the ball to him on the elbow or on the block and have action happen away from him and trust him with this height of an eye advantage and reach advantage that he has as a facilitator, that gives your offense such a unique wrinkle. You know, it doesn't have to be everything that you do. Like Domasa bonus for your beloved Sacramento Kings. You see this all the time is that he can have the, he can have an offense run through him. Nikola Jogic, same thing. He can have, he can have an offense run through him. Uh, Al Horford, we see time and time again that big men can create. They're not always given that freedom in college, right? So Bellis is showing you that level of creativity at a at good volume right now at the college level. When the floor is open more, and I'm sure we'll talk about this here in a little bit, and when he's exclusively a five, you know, we don't get to see that at Arizona. We saw him play with guys like Christian Coloco. He's playing with Umar Balo, who is, been really impressive already in the in the early going of the season. As a two big man high low action, he's already showing you examples of what he can do as a pro as a five, and I think that that's um, very enticing whenever you're evaluating him as an NBA level prospect. I'm really glad that you brought up Demontis Sabonis, not just because it got us a little opportunity to talk about how good the Kings have been lately, which is not something they light we- the beam. <laughs> there we go, light the beam. But you know the. The reason that I think the Sabonis comparison is particularly apt here is he has a lot of similarities to to Tubelis, someone who is at his best as a five, but has shown that he can play at the four in certain lineup Mm -hmm. constructions. You know, someone who maybe isn't as good of a shooter as you like, but is pretty decently competent as a shooter. We'll certainly Mm -hmm. get into this later, but Tubelis has shown market improvement in terms of his touch from the free throw line. It's not a big sample size, but it's big enough for me to think that he's, you know, improved his shooting over the summer going into his junior year, which is going to be huge for his NBA prospects. But really for me, I mean, this is a point that I beat to death on this podcast. I'm going to beat it to death again, but the skill set that Azolas Tubelis has will give him so many more paths into an NBA rotation, right? Mm -hmm. You draft him and you say, okay, this is someone who, you know, unlike, say, 
seven footer X that we can get on the market who, you know, rolls to the rim is a good drop coverage, big, and basically just fills an end of the bench slot doing exactly that with Tabellus, You have someone who, okay. You know, if you have say a true seven footer, you can play Tabellus at the four. He's shown that he can play at the four. If you have him be a, backup five who you run some offense through, you can trust him to make a good decision and be able to make the right pass if he sees it, which he almost always will, you know, if you mm-hmm. throw in the ball on the block out of, you know, a backup set, you know, if he's the backup five or, you know, maybe even potentially in the longer term, someone who, you know, can fit in a starting lineup as someone who maybe isn't, you know, as heavy of a scorer as he has been at Arizona, but someone who, you can run the offense through, as you said. And, you know, even if it's just running the offense through him a few plays out of the game rather than the majority of the time, like it tends to be for Sabonis when he's on the floor, you know, that's someone who has a lot of different ways to earn NBA minutes because there are a lot of different players that he can fit really well besides, especially on the offensive end. Exactly. And we see examples of this at Arizona. You know, he he ran with Benedict Matherin and Dalen Terry last year who – Dale and Terry, not as much, but Benedict Matherin might be rookie of the year right now. And he did a lot of two-man action with Azolas Tabellas last year. Obviously with Christian Coloco, who's having a great season as well. But Tubelas in particular ran a great two-man game with Kirk Creesa. Now, I'm not going to argue whether or not Kirk Creesa is going to be in the NBA ever. I mean, he might. We'll, we'll see. But you can see some of the some of the hints in his game that do translate over to the NBA, being able to run a pick and roll with a big man and pull up on movement, three point shots, you know, being able to run with a big man in transition. There are a number of opportunities that we got to witness last year. And even at the beginning of this year, running with a guy like, you know, Courtney Ramey as well, you know, an athletic point of attack, big man who, or excuse me, point guard who can move the ball around as well. And also cut off of him as a, as a playmaking big man. So, the, the tandems and the, the teammates that we've gotten to see with Azulis Tabella so far um, during his career at Arizona is very promising because we've got to see him work alongside a number of different type of athlete that he can be the beneficiary of having things set for him, but also can set the table for those teammates as well. And that table setting is, I think, going to be the biggest factor for him because, you know, I sort of mentioned this in passing already, but... I doubt that he is going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer at the NBA level. Probably not, yeah. Probably not, and if he is, it's certainly not going to be in the first couple years of his NBA career. So, you know, again, it's the kind of thing where there are pretty high replacement level for, you know, seven-footers who are athletic and can be drop bigs. Like, you can find those kinds of players pretty easily, but... With Tubelis, you know, the idea that I'm thinking of with him is, you know, okay, there are very few NBA rotations that couldn't theoretically use a backup 4-5 who has, as we'll get to in a bit, shown some promising signs as a shooter, but Mm -hmm. more importantly is someone who you can trust to be part of a five-man offense, right? You can trust him to make good passes. You can trust him to post guys up when he has a guard on him for whatever reason, and also, super importantly, the next section of your article, he's a really good screen setter, which yeah. is something that, especially with younger bigs, there are so many younger bigs who I can think of, like, you know, Evan Mobley is the prime example that I can think of of someone who 
you're expecting to slip the screen basically every time because mm -hmm. they're not, you know, built. I mean, Evan Mobley could Santa put on some weight, which is part of it, but you know, they're yeah. not looking to hit guys coming around screens. And with Tubelis, he is a load both in the post, but you know, also I think more importantly for his NBA future is just a really solid screen setter who, you know, can get you into short roll, pick and roll situations and, give the guard some space because, you know, he's someone who you're not going to expect him to, you know, touch the guard lightly and slip to the rim, right? He's someone who will actually go ahead and set that screen. And he's also shown something that I think is super important for young big men nowadays who aren't, you know, the all-world types like Evan Mobley is at basically everything other than screening, right? Is Sure, yeah. That, yeah, is that he's really good at flipping the angles of his screens too. He's not just, you know, setting a hard screen at the top of the key. You know, he's someone who you can have him set a screen at the nail, right? You can, you know, have him set a screen out on the wing and, you know, maybe even pop out for a corner three sometime in the future. You know, maybe not quite yet, but, yeah. you know, even if that's just popping out for an 18-foot mid-range jumper, he's shown that he can do that as well. And that screening factor is, I think, going to be huge for his potential ability to earn his way into an NBA rotation down the line. I mean, it's essential, right? Like we know that the NBA loves pick and roll. It's it's all based on get the ball to your ball handler, get him some separation, and give him someone that can complement his skill set the best. You know, whether he's playing with a guy who's going to just curl off that screen with full head of steam and and try to dunk over somebody like a John Morant has a guy like Stephen Adams setting him a screen, or he could be like a James Harden you know, Luka Doncic, someone along those lines who they're going to – it's going to be predicated on the angle of the screen that's set. That ball handler is going to then attack the defender in the worst way possible, and then they can mask an alley-oop, which we we know that Azolas Tubelis is a very – he's probably an underrated athlete in terms of, you know, how coordinated he is as a big man, right? Um, so that ball handler can then mask a floater or an alley-oop, and then Azolas Tubelis, you can trust him. He's got great hands. He's coordinated. He moves well um, on the run. He can finish over the top or he can come down and make a, a finesse finish as well, right? So there's a, a number of ways within a two-man action that Azulis Tobelis can be beneficial. But also you, you touched on him being able to step into a rotation. One thing that we see the NBA trying to go almost exclusively to now, if you look at the success as it, like a team like Utah, they run a five-out scheme. You have Azulis Tobelis who – for a big man in college basketball, his triple threat is pretty pretty sound, right? Like he can he can put the ball in the deck. I I posted a clip in in my piece where he's literally running, dribbling, and hits a man open in the corner because he knows that he's gonna draw gravity the closer he gets to the basket. That's important for a five man out basketball because if he can put the ball in the deck or simply just back down someone, or as we're gonna talk about soon, improve as a catch and shoot big man. There's a lot of different ways that NBA head coaches could use him to his advantage. And that's why I think that he he's going to get a cup of coffee in the NBA at some point, right? It's just how successful can he be? And I don't, I think that there's not very many, if at all, any uh, NBA systems that he can't benefit, you know, a team wouldn't benefit to have him in their rotation. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's, I think, the point that I'm trying to make with, you know, saying he has so many different ways to earn his way mm -hmm. into an NBA rotation. You know, a lot of times there are cup of coffee players who just, you know, as a, for instance, say, don't last in the NBA, go over to the EuroLeague, become, you know, MVPs, become star level players in the EuroLeague. And part of that is because it's, you know, a different league. It's slightly different in terms of, you know, 
maybe the average level of athleticism is lower, you know, something again, it's a different league. So some players are just better suited for that kind of league, but sometimes it's just that they're, you know, really, really quality rotation players who don't really get much of a shot in the NBA, then get a shot in Europe. And sometimes it means that, you know, they stay over in Europe and make incredibly successful careers themselves. And sometimes you get the PGA Tuckers of the world, right. Or the Patrick Mm -hmm. Buffalo's of the world who, you know, are, have like a cup of coffee in summer league or even like a few minutes in an actual NBA season, don't stick around on the rotation, you know, go to a different international league, figure a few things out, come back to the NBA. And I mean, PJ Tucker has been a starter for a number of years in his mid to late thirties because he figured a lot of stuff out. And, you know, I think the thing with Tupelis is the difference between him and some of these other players who, you know, PJ Tucker has a very specialized skill set. Tabellas could fit into a lot of different lineup constructions to the point where, you know, if he gets to the point where a few games he gets 10 minutes a game, I think it's going to be difficult for whatever team he's playing for, for the coach to say, okay, that was a good run of, you know, 10 minutes in six straight games. We're going to send you back to the end of the bench, right? Because, again, he has so many different things that he can do that, you know, aren't just, again, he's a 20 point scorer, but what we've been talking about almost this entire time is basically his complementary skills, right? You know, his ability to pass as a big man, his screening, his ability to set screens will transition in a minute to talking about his transition offense. And as you mentioned, how, you know, he's a bit of an underrated athlete in a lot of ways, you know, he just fills a lot of different potential holes for a team. And, there are very few teams where I can imagine that if he gets a decent run of play and is the same kind of player that he's shown he is over the past three seasons at Arizona, I think it'll be difficult for coaches to leave him out of the rotation if he has a little stretch of solid run. It, I wholeheartedly agree. Like You're not going to find very many people who are higher on Tabellis than I am. You know, I have him. We just submitted our latest round of a. Uh, you know, big boards for submission, still tinkering on mine, but I have two bells in the late first round. And a lot of it has to do with what you're saying, Nick, these ancillary skills that he brings to the table, that, that high field, that intelligence that he has to his game. He has physicality. He has finesse. He has a, a pretty good scoring package for a big man as well with potential to get even better. And like you said, we're, we've been talking for like 10, 15 minutes just on passing and screening, which you know, screening is is vital to the success of a big man, but the passing is gonna is is what's going to separate you. It's like being on a having a job resume, right? You and I have go to school for four years apiece, but you know, I have experience in in the in the sector of work that we're trying to get, and you don't. That's gonna separate me from you, right? So that that playmaking, that passing ability, along with physicality, along with the screen setting and the scoring. And the promise that he has as a shooter, like that's going to give him a little bit more of an advantage of some of these other big men who just can set a pick and roll and rebound. Yeah. So I have him in the early second round. And again, I feel like I'm very, very tempted to move him into the late first round. And I keep struggling with, you know, who I would move behind him, right? To jump sure. into the to jump him into the first. But I mean, I, you know feel like early second again is maybe a bit not generous enough maybe late first is more well where i'll end up having him by the end of the season but yeah i mean with tubelis there's so many different ways that he can help a team out and you know that's all of what what we've been talking about basically 
but it just makes it easy to envision him finding a place where he'll fit in the NBA. And so much of what we try and do as draft analysts is, you know, try and weigh the longer term potential of a player versus the skills that they've shown right now. Right. And mm-hmm. with Tubelis, as we'll get into, there's one skill in particular where he's shown really, really promising growth, at least in my eyes. But for the most part, I mean, we're talking about, you know, little things that he does that fit well into a rotation that, maybe won't lead to him being a star player, but makes it pretty easy for me to say, okay, you know, maybe he's realized a decent chunk of his potential already, but as he is right now, I can envision, you know, 25 teams being really happy with him as their backup center slash, you know, third string power forward slash center kind of player getting 10 to 15 minutes off the bench. And, you know, if his shooting really improves, then, Maybe there's more to it than that, but even if it doesn't, he's just got such a solid complementary skill set. And one of the other key factors of that complementary skill set is his transition play. So let's yeah. go jump over to talk about that now. This is something that's huge for him as a big man because, you know, he's someone who either getting the rebound and kicking it head up court or just running with the guard in transition. He's someone who has shown that he can run the floor very well for his size. And, you know, we'll get into shooting in a bit, but, you know, there's a theoretical idea of him as a trail three-point shooter. But even as he is right now, you know, he's someone who he will kick the ball ahead once he gets the rebound. And Mm -hmm. if he doesn't get the rebound, he will run the floor alongside whoever is bringing the ball up. And, you know, again, especially combined with the rest of his skills, that's immensely valuable to just be like, okay, we can trust that, you know, he's not someone who's going to, you know, hang back, right? He's someone who we can trust will be part of the push to get the ball off the floor, even if that's not necessarily what you always expect from your center. We're, we're right. He's as a rebounder, he gives you about seven or eight rebounds per game. And when he's not getting the rebound on the defensive side of the ball, he will look to push the break. And one thing that we love about NBA basketball is pace of play compared to college, right? Like it's not, let's get the rebound. Let's make sure everyone's parked in their positions. No controlled chaos is what we love about the NBA. We love to see certain guards or wings, you know, get those grab and go, you know, attacks that the NBA teams will schematically set it up to where the best ball handler will try to get the rebound and then push the break and, you know, that player also typically has the best set of eyes on the court and having a big man that can help push and establish a break. It is huge. It's very beneficial. I, I posted a couple clips uh, there. There's plenty more, right? But I only post two just for the sake of the reader where there's one game against Creighton where, you know, the ball ends up in Pell Larson's hands. He's a tremendous athlete and a good defender. I like him a lot. Um, Creighton has no shortage of athletic, quick players on their team. By the time Pell Larson looks up and is dribbling the ball, kicks it ahead to Kirk Risa, Tobias has everyone on the floor beat for position except, you know, Arthur Kaluma, who he doesn't have him beat is in, in terms of like lateral separations, like they're stride for side, stride for stride. But where Kaluma is messed up is that he's on the outside position of Tobias. So he has interior position on him and has everyone else beat in a foot race. All it takes is for Kirk Reese to recognize that, get him the ball, and he can take one dribble and and lay the ball in. You know, and then on the next play that I have listed here, it's against San Diego State, who's a very good team. Um, one thing that I love about this play is that it 
highlights the athleticism and the intelligence of Azulis Tabellis to where Kirk Kreese is trying to send poor Azulis Tabellis an alley-oop from probably just inside half court. By the time the pass is thrown, Azulis Tabellis is maybe one step inside the free throw line. Tabellis jumps up, grabs the ball in midair under control, lays it in. He doesn't dunk it, unfortunately, right? But if you look at this play, the body control, the stride, the understanding of where he needs to be in order to catch this pass and not have this result into a turnover and convert on a fast break opportunity, the amount of things that are happening in a split second that Azulis Tubelis can recognize and have the body control and the athleticism to make it all happen is just phenomenal. And he converts it, makes it look easy, and it highlights the leaping ability, highlights the hand-eye coordination, highlights the core strength that he has in order to gather the ball, position his body in the correct way in order to finish the play. It, it's it's a tremendous play. Having a big man that can do all of that alongside the passing, alongside the screen setting, alongside the rebounding, again, there's not very many teams that would not want a big man like this on the rotation. So the second clip was very impressive, but I did you know, want to dive a little bit more in depth on the first clip that you mentioned of the sure. two clips that you had, the one against Creighton. And the thing that really stands out to me there is – he, you know, as you mentioned, beats basically everybody but Columba down the floor, gets a quick seal, gets a post up, you know, easy bucket. All takes like four seconds off the clock. And yes. that, that I think is really going to be where if Tubelis gets post up possessions with any frequency at the NBA level, that's, I think, going to be really the best of those is he gets out quickly enough in transition. The only person running with him is a player who's got a serious size advantage on, you know, quick seal, quick post up, get the bucket, easy, you know, four seconds up and down the court. And that's, I think, really where, you know, if you're not a superstar in the post, a lot of your post-up positions as uh, post-up possessions as a big man are going to be similar to that, right? You know, you get a smaller player on you and you just put him in the hole and get an easy basket. And, you know, with Tupelis, it's not just that he can take advantage of a switch onto a smaller guy. It's that he's quick enough and, you know, well-versed enough in getting in the right positions in transition that you can, you know, pretty easily see him getting a few buckets exactly like that at the NBA level, yeah. you know, one or two buckets like that every game of just, you know, he runs up the floor faster than almost everybody else. The only player running with him is someone who he's got five, six inches on again, puts him in the hole, easy post up, easy basket. That's the kind of thing that I can see translating exceptionally easily at the NBA level. Well, yeah. And I think the one thing that we we probably could have led this conversation with earlier because we're painting a picture of what this guy looks like, right? And and all the things that he can do. Tubelis is 6'11", pushing 250. To, and he's predominantly an under-the-basket style of player. Or he is on the elbow or in the perimeter setting the table for a lot of other people. That's what makes him scary is that he has such a high level of field. But when he needs to break it out, he has a, a level of athleticism that I think will translate to the NBA. And it it shows up beautifully in transition and he does a, a number of other things offensively too, to where if you're out of position, he can take advantage of that with a quick first step relative to his size. Speaking of other things that he can do on offense, let's move to the next section. And this is one of my favorite skills to talk about is cutting. And I have said this time and time again on here, but what I love the most about watching players who are really, really exceptional cutters is every time it just looks like they're a step ahead of everybody else that they mm -hmm. see the angle to the basket before anybody else does, you know, they, 
going back to football conversation for a brief moment here, but you know, they see the crease and they hit it hard, right? They're not yeah. just letting that opportunity slip them by. They know that it's a split second kind of thing. And anything that you get feet for in the college game, you get inches for in the NBA game. So seeing cutting on pretty much any player, you know, any player who's a really exceptional cutter is always something that fascinates me, but it's especially interesting for me to, you know, evaluate this, as a skill for big men, right? Because big men aren't yeah. the people who you're expecting to, you know, crash in hard from the wings and get an easy cut to the basket. But that's something that Tubelis does. And I think that complements the rest of his game exceptionally well that, you know, there are many ways to be a very good off-ball offensive player without being a Clay Thompson level shooter, right? And yeah. Tubelis is cutting. That's an area where you can clearly see that, you know, okay, when we're talking about, you know, his passing, he's someone who you can trust to make the right reads when he's got the ball in his hands. But when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, what is he doing, right? And the answer with Tubelis mm -hmm. is he's setting hard screens. He's rolling to the rim. He's slipping occasionally. He's popping occasionally. And if he's not near the action itself, you can rely on him to, if there's an opportunity, cut to the basket. Yeah, and one of the plays that I highlight here is a, matchup against Utah Tech, and I understand that that's not, you know, necessarily a basketball powerhouse, but what you want to see when you're evaluating these kind of lower level of competition games is, one, you want it to look like they're a lower level of competition, right? Like, if it happens the way that it does in this play, you just say, oh, well, he's supposed to do that. Well, right, but if he doesn't, then you hold it against him. So kind of two sides of the coin there. Um, but you also want to see the feel and the the level of reads that he's able to execute. So in this possession that I'm highlighting against Utah Tech, you're seeing this high-low action that we keep, you know, beating home with Umar Ballo. And Ballo in this game, no problem at all finishing over the top of a one-man action. You know, Utah Tech recognizes this, and they're starting to send help. And one thing that smart college basketball teams will do when they send help is that they will send it and mask your immediate read, right? And Umar Ballo is as great as he's been this year. You're not really expecting him to make reads when he has the ball in his hand in the post. And if it is, it's a simple kick out, hopefully to the corner. Well, Utah Tech, obviously, you know, the coach, forgive me for not knowing his name, understands this, you know, very simplistic mindset that is probably happening with Umar Ballo. He's like, all right, if we're going to send help, we got to take away that next pass. We're going to force him to make a play. The action is happening away from Azulis Tubelis. And the last thing you probably want to have happen is your big one of your big men have the ball on the block and your other big men run towards him. Well, Tubelis does this, but he does this beautifully because the the pressure is happening on Balo in the block. The defense is shielded away basically to where every defender is covering the next passing lane and over, with the exception of Cedric Henderson, who is on the other opposite side of the floor. Tubelis jets down the center of the lane because he sees where Balo is in his decision-making process. As soon as he picks the ball up, understands that he doesn't have the advantage to score, and as soon as he recognizes that his teammate in the corner is open, he understands that he's not going to whip the ball across the court because that's just not Balo's game. Tubelis, because he's a big target, runs down the middle of the floor where there is a lane, fills it beautifully, presents himself very high up in the air to where Balo can make a, an entry-level pass, a very simple one, Tubelis grabs it and finishes. It's a beautiful play because in just those couple of seconds, Tubelis is recognizing where his teammate is, where the defense is, 
and his teammates' capability, and is also demonstrating a high level of feel in order to present himself in such a way to where he's open, although he he and another big man are occupying essentially the same space. It's interesting because he shows a very high level of awareness for the game on this play, but this, I think, also highlights something that we touch on the transition section, which is really he's a pretty solid athlete. And I think the area where that shows is, you know, again, as you mentioned, he's very much an under the basket type big, but mm-hmm. I mean, for his size at 6'11", 250, he's pretty quick, you know, side to side and, you know, up and down the floor. And that's really helpful in transition because, you know, he's actually running with these guys, right? You know, the yeah. play against Creighton, you know, the only person who hasn't beat is Arthur Kaluma and he's running stride for stride with Kaluma. And, you know, Kaluma is someone who, you know, as a forward type who has had some very heavy first round, if not even top of the first round considerations, you know, yep. it's not like, say, running it out against Utah Tech, right? He's shown that he can do this against players who many draft evaluators consider to be NBA-level players, NBA-level athletes, yep. at, you know, on the wing, right? Not matching up against Tabellus directly, but he's someone who is very quick as a big man, which... I think, you know, we talk a lot about vertical athleticism for big men, whereas we don't necessarily highlight the lateral athleticism, the foot speed of big men as much. And again, you know, Tubelis is a bit more of an under the basket type player in terms of vertical athleticism, but in terms of, you know, quote unquote, horizontal athleticism, he's actually really solid for a college player, you know, not just someone who's massive 6'11", 250 pound guy. Well, yeah. And I think that the times that we do, talk about lateral athleticism it's predominantly for big men on the defensive side of the ball whereas Tubelis is showing you in in several instances well a large part of his career but in this in this article just a couple of instances that I've just copied and slapped on you know digital paper is that he does have offensive lateral um, mobility coupled with high level of feel for the game and you know, all these other ancillary skills that we, that we've already touched on. So let's close out the offensive discussion for Tubelis the way that you did in the article, which is talking about his shooting. And it's funny that you brought up the Corey Eli Manning takes because, you know, (laughs) something that Corey and I discussed last week on this very podcast was sort of thoughts on free throw shooting. And I've said multiple times that I like to refer to myself as a partial free throw truther, which essentially what I mean by that is the sample size for college three-point shooting is often very, very small. And in Tubelis' case, he's taken literally nine three-pointers the entire season. But the variance on free throw shooting is always, you know, there's, there's a wider range in the sense that, you know, players are expected to make, you know at least 70-ish percent of their free throws, right? The range for 35 to 40% as a three-point shooter, uh, three point shooter, rather, you know, 35% versus 40% three-point shooting in college on that kind of sample size could just be two rim outs that you had end up going down, and all of a sudden you're a 40% guy as opposed to a 35% right. guy, which I refer to as the Derek Williams principle of sometimes players get massively overblown as shooters because they, you know hit a couple and all of a sudden they're 28 from 70 from three, as opposed to 25 of 70 from three. Whereas with free throw shooting, again, you know, you get a much larger sample most of the time. And furthermore, you're expected to make more than half of them at the very minimum. Right. So, you know, the range with Tubelis is that his first season in Arizona, he was just under 70% from the line. 
His sophomore year, he was at 67% from the line. And this year so far, he is knocked down at 27 of 31 free throws for 87% from the line. Now, again, the reason I say partial free throw truther is, you know, sometimes you get the Bruce Bones of the world, right? 40% free throw shooter, 40% three-point shooter. But, you know, the other thing is, even though it's a larger sample size than nine, you know, 31 free throws is not necessarily enough for me to say, okay, he's made the jump from below 70% as a free throw shooter to, you know, hey, he's in the high 80s now. Fantastic. But, you know, with Tupelis, when you combine that jump in percentage with the film, I mean, there was one play in Arizona's last game against Cal where, you know, Tubelis is at the top of the key, hands the ball off, uh, and then, you know, gets his way to the nail and takes a mid-range jumper. And, you know, the thing that stood out to me about that is his mid-range shot looks so much more comfortable in his three-point yes. shots. Like, he has to load up a bit for his three-point shots. That really isn't the case for his mid-range jumper. And that kind of references back to what I was discussing earlier of, you know, maybe he's not pick and pop to three at this point, but, you know, I think he has the shooting touch to be a pick and pop to 18 feet guy. And again, someone that Corey and I talked about last week was Brooke Lopez, who for the longest time was one of the best mid range shooters in the NBA, but, you know, didn't take that couple steps back to be a three point shooter. And then one year, all of a sudden he did that, you know, and he'd always been like an 80% free throw shooter, you know, really, really great touch, exceptional touch in the post too. And then he just added you know, an extra two feet back. And all of a sudden that's basically what he is on offense now. Right. You know, somehow it became an all world defensive player, which I think is honestly an even more wild transformation than his shooting transformation. Sure. But you know, he just took a couple steps back and all of a sudden he's a three point spacer and with Tubelis, you know, again, okay. He's at 44% from three on the year, but that's also four of nine total. And, you know, as you mentioned in the piece, you know, in his previous seasons, he was, you know, hovering around, he's still around 30% for his college career, even with those four of nine makes from this season. But what has really encouraged me about his shooting from the early going is not necessarily his three-point shooting, but his mid-range shot and the dramatic jump in free throw percentage. And if we get to the end of the year and he's like mid-70s, low-80s as a free throw shooter, I think that's a huge jump for him. If he regresses and you know maybe he just got lucky on a few early free throws okay that's what that is but you know at 31 free throws this season the sample size is big enough where i think okay this is something to monitor rather than all right he got you know early season had a couple really good games from the line kind of deal well yeah and i agree a lot with your partial free throw truther take and you can almost kind of flip that on its head for bruce bone is like we got to see way more three-point attempts so we did free throws so like imagine if he got fouled a little bit more like that, that might go up because of his natural touch. But back to Tavellis here. Um, I'm of the mindset, Nick, that whenever we're assessing collegiate big men, especially when they're in systems like Arizona, um, you know, our, our buddy Corey just did a great show on the Home and Way podcast with Rucker where he talked about Trace Jackson Davis, another guy who I'm considering as a first-round level big man this year, um, running in antiquated offenses in the college game. And then you kind of have to look at them almost through rose-colored lenses and say, well, imagine if they're in a more um, modernized offensive scheme, like how can they be utilized? To Bellis runs, again, we talked about how he is on the floor with Christian Coloco and, you know, guys like Umar Ballo. They have to, they they do utilize Tubelis's playmaking ability from the perimeter, but 
the shooting hasn't necessarily been a predominant part of his offense. Um, I will say that this season it looks like it's being kind of prioritized a little bit more than in years past, which might be an indication that the that the shooting is actually real. It's just that the volume hasn't always been that great. Um, but I will say also that we need to be patient with big men as shooting prospects because, you know, if, if they show promise in a college level, you know, we can take that with almost a grain of salt and say, okay, well, how does that translate? Is the spacing, is the timing, the speed of the game going to impact that? But I think with big men in college, especially a guy like Tubelis, Arizona isn't prioritizing his shot exclusively, right? Like they utilize him as a playmaker. They utilize him as a post finisher. They utilize him in transition. If he has an open three-point shot or two during the game, sure, take it, but we're not going to feed that to you. So having said that, when he makes the jump to the NBA, if he's got an open shot, he's going to be expected to take it. And I'm willing to bet too that his priorities and practices and, you know, in game, you know, coach ups and things like that is that, Hey man, look, we're running a five out offense, shoot the ball. When you're, when we're not playing games and you're in practice, shoot the ball. It's going to be emphasized in a way that it hasn't been at the college level. So that provides opportunity for growth in an area for a player that has all these other tools that we just got done expanding upon. Then we put him in an ecosystem where it's going to be encouraged for him to not only take them in games, but make that a big level of his practice and his training. I think the promise is there based on the the indications that we see right now, Nick, that the three point shot could very well be a real part of his game. And it may not be there his first or second year, but he does enough other things offensively to where you can be a little bit more patient for that shot to come around. And based on what we've seen and based on, how we've seen other big men translate to the NBA and be more comfortable taking shots if they show these indications. I'm willing to bet that the shot ends up being at least an average big man level three point shot in the NBA. I think what's really fascinating about the Tubelis evaluation here, and I'm going to use a player who I think is almost an opposite example, even though funnily enough, they have pretty similar stat lines overall, but you know, you mentioned the difference in ecosystem between college mm-hmm. and the NBA. And, you know, the first player that immediately jumped to my mind was Drew Timmy as someone sure. who is exceptionally effective in the college game, but the specifics of his skill set make it so that even though he has shown this level of dominance at the college level, the translation to the NBA level is a little bit more difficult to see. Whereas with Tubelis, it's almost the opposite approach, where he has so many great complementary skills, and his shooting, you know, if the free throw numbers are to be believed, then he's really rounding into form as a shooter, which is kind of the last sort of missing piece from his offensive game. He's someone who, unlike Timmy, who has a lot of reasons that he benefits from the way the college game is played, Tubelis is someone who... I think will be much more easily maximized at the NBA level than he is at the college level. And I'm saying this about someone who's a 20 point per game scorer at the college level, right? Right. It's just, you know, that the specifics of his skill set makes so much sense in an NBA context, whereas he might not get the full value out of those skills at the college level. Whereas with someone like Timmy, it's like, okay, he has so thoroughly taken advantage of the, environment around him at Gonzaga and the environment around him as a college basketball player that he looks fantastic, but we're not so sure that he'll be able to translate well to the NBA level. And 
I'm certainly higher on him than I am on Timmy, but, you know, someone like Oscar Shibway kind of ticks a bunch of similar buckets where it's like he has figured out this way to just be exceptionally dominant at the college level. And the question is, will he translate in that sort of way to the NBA level? Whereas with Dubelis, it's like all the things that he does really well are the kinds of things that slip under the radar if you're not paying attention and will be much more easily maximized in an NBA context than they would be in the college game. Well, and this, I'm sure we're going to shift here in a minute to the other side of the ball, but offensively, 110%, I agree with you. And I think that even the naysayers for Tubelis will agree with a lot of the points that we made out on the offensive side of the ball. And again, this is Tubelis not really ever being in an offense that exclusively seeks him out to finish plays. And you just got done comparing him to Drew Timmy. We have seen Gonzaga has made it a point of emphasis that he is exclusively there to finish plays. Tubelis will give you 20 and 8 and 2 assists, but also not necessarily being featured as the guy. Where, you know, on, on this team currently right now, Umar Balo is starting to become like that point of emphasis. Kurt Kreese as a shooter, Pell Larson as a cutter and slasher, Cedric Henderson as a play finisher, Courtney Ramey as the, as the playmaker, right? Like there are a number of guys on this team that they kind of run like that Eagletarian style offense where certainly Tubella, I'm not trying to make it seem like Tubellas gets like five touches and, you know, it's not Randy Moss, three catches, three touchdowns, 150 yards, right? To continue the football conversation. Tubellas does get emphasized, but not to the level that a lot of other collegiate big men do like the previous, the aforementioned Trace Jackson Davis, like give him the ball on the block and let him go to work. And that's going to be our offense until they stop it. And even then we might still do that. Right. So there are a number of other collegiate level big men that are heavily emphasized on the offensive end and don't have as many tools as those to who does get emphasized, but I wouldn't, I would say not to the level, well, not to the player of the year level that he probably could be if he was at another of other, you know, universities. So let's now move on to that conversation on the defensive side of the ball. And this is going to be a lot less positive. I think that's fair to say sure. up front. I think, you know, a lot of the conversation that we were having earlier about his ability to fit in multiple different contexts, you know, his ability to earn his way into rotation in multiple different ways, his ability to play the four and the five, a lot of that is predicated on the offensive end because when we're talking about the defensive side, that's, I think, where we circle back to the point that you made very early on, which is he's pretty much just going to be a five at the NBA level. And yep. that's mostly just going to be because you basically are going to need him to be a drop big. He's not quite a, certainly not a defensive playmaker as a rim protector. You know, he's someone who, there are a lot of players like this who, you know, don't get a lot of blocks, but jump passing lanes a decent amount and, you know, will put their arms up and be vertical at the rim, right? You know, it's not like he's someone who doesn't put in the effort on the defensive end. You know, he he really is just someone who, again, you know, his lack of vertical athleticism, I think, hurts him a lot more on the defensive end than it hurts him sure. on the offensive side of the ball. And he's pretty quick, you know, running up and down the floor, but that shows up a lot more in his offensive game than it does in his defensive game. Now, again, his horizontal athleticism, I called it earlier, is a reason that I'm hopeful about him developing on the defensive mm -hmm. end. But this is more just about the kind of deal where, you know, it's funny because you brought up DeMontis Sabonis and 
you know, the other Kings big man who was an exceptional passer, you know, a little bit earlier, Chris, Chris Weber, but between the two of them, DeMarcus Cousins. And I think there's actually a comparison between, you know, last season, DeMarcus Cousins and some of what we might see from Azola Stabellis. You know, last season, Cousins was an exceptionally effective backup to Nikola Jokic because he's a really, really good passing big man who can shoot the three, who can take someone down on the block if he needs to be taken down on the block. And on the defensive end, you're just having him hang back and deciding, okay, you know, they might score 135 points per 100 possessions on us, but we're going to put up 140 on the other end, right? You're not sure. having Azulis Tubelis out there to beat the other team on the defensive end of the floor. It's more just a question of can he be good enough on offense to cover up for his defense? And can he be acceptable enough as a drop big that we can get away with his production on the offensive end of the floor? Yeah. And I, I mentioned in the article that I think Tubelis is going to exclusively be a drop big. And maybe one of the benefits that he's experienced at Arizona at being the four instead of the five is not having to have everyone kind of like funnel at him again, Umar Balo, Christian Coloco, He's benefited playing alongside these level of rim deterrence because he himself is not one. I will say, and I mentioned this because we we talked about Tubelis earlier in the week on Draft Deeper when I had uh, Metcalf on, and he and I share different opinions on Tubelis overall as an NBA player. He has Hunter Dickinson uh, evaluated higher than Azulis Tubelis, which you know to each their own. I I understand the the preference to Dickinson like I I can logistically make that case as well and one thing that I think about Tubelis defensively is that the high level of feel that he experiences on the offensive side of the ball he he does show that he understands offensive concepts while he is the you know on defense he has smart hands which there are a number of big men not just you know all NBA level like Nikola Jokic who isn't necessarily a rim deterrent and gets away with it because he's such a high level, you know, playmaker, finisher, shooter, everything on the offensive end. He can get away with it, right? Because he's, you know, a multi-time MVP. There are other big men who aren't at that level, like an Andre Drummond, for example, right? Or Nikola Vucevic, who they're not necessarily world beaters on the defensive side. And they've carved out a nice little role for themselves in the NBA because they do understand concepts. They present a, a an opposite, an opposing force at the rim, and they play passing lanes. You know, they they do make contributions on the defensive end, albeit not at the level that is desirable for you know a a drop coverage big man all the time. They they do present themselves as a valuable option for a couple minutes as rim deterrence because they can do other things too. You know, part of defense is ending the possession on one shot, you know, and Tubelis can do that. He can close the possession on a rebound, much like an Andre Drummond, right? So he understands passing lanes. He does have, you know, the physical tools to be better. And as much as we just, I got done saying that he's benefited by playing alongside other rim deterrents, he has also pretty much gone without the experience of being in that position. So maybe there is an opportunity for growth and learning and understanding and development as kind of the pivot man or the anchor on the defensive side of the ball, because we just haven't seen the opportunity that might be too much glass half full for a lot of people. But um, I will say there is a chance that Tubelis might show that he is 
a capable defender, albeit probably not a a, a plus level defender as an NBA five. So you're you're telling me there's a chance? I'm I'm saying there is a chance. That's yeah. I mean that's that's about as optimistic as I think we can be about Tubelis at this point. But you know, in terms of the positives about his defense, which you know, again, I don't think it's all negative. I think it's just you know the offensive side. He's got such a well-rounded skill set. Yeah. You know, it's easy to to wax eloquent about how exceptional he is in the offensive end while you know sort of glossing over the defensive side. And you know, I don't want to again. I don't want to say that he's hopeless as a defender because he's not. I mean, yeah. part of what he contributes is, as you mentioned, I think the biggest thing he contributes is you know ending possessions and furthermore, you know, that excellent turning defense into offense thing you know, rebounding the ball, getting it up court. That's another strength of his is he's pretty good at jumping passing lanes for a big man, as you mentioned. And that's, you know, another way to turn defense into offense, right? And, you know, generate a couple possessions where you're being a plus defender, even if, you know, on the average, you're not necessarily a plus defender. But that's, I think, the flip side of the, he probably won't ever be a plus defender at the NBA level or even a neutral defender at the NBA level is, He's not terrible, and you know yeah. that sounds like a very couched take. But what the I mean, ringing endorsement, yes, yeah, exactly. But what I mean by that really is that he's someone who, most of the time, he knows where to be, and mm-hmm. most of the time he can get there in drop coverage. Right? It's not like there's one pick and roll, and all of a sudden he's completely lost, and it's an easy blow by for the defender. It's not the kind of thing where. He goes shot block hunting as a drop defender, gets himself out of position. You know, it's not like he's someone who is going to foul six times a game and, you know, not play any more than 10 minutes because he can't can't stay out of foul trouble, right? I mean, a lot of the positives with him are, and this, again, not exactly a ringing endorsement, but he's not going to be terrible, right? He has a general idea of where he's supposed to be. He has pretty quick feet and is decently good about getting there. You know, not quick enough to be a switch defender at all, I don't think, but you know, quick enough where in the right situations as a drop defender, he's going to be able to get back to the rim if he has to and, you know, maybe not punch a shot into the fourth row, but at least give the player on the other end a more difficult shot attempt than if he wasn't there at all, right? If he didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, if he missed up the play and, you know, he's like out of bounds as the offensive players drive into the rim and he can't get back into the play in time. Right. You know, there's mm-hmm. a difference between not good at defense and terrible at defense. And with Tuvelos, I'm willing to put him squarely in the below average category. Right. You know, he's not, yeah. he's not good. He maybe below average is even still too much of a ringing endorsement, but far from being terrible and lost every time he's out there, which especially, you know, given his offensive gifts, I think if he can be like solidly below average at the NBA level as a defender, I think that's a huge win. And if he reaches below average defender at the NBA level, then I think he really, you know, carves out a solid long-term career for himself because again, the offense is special and it's an incredibly versatile, varied skill set that'll allow him to fit in a lot of different contexts. So as long as he can figure out enough on the defensive end of the floor that he doesn't play himself off the floor that way, then, you know, I think he'll be fine in the longer term. And given his knowledge of positioning, given that he's not, you know, the slowest of footed big men, I think there's a solid enough chance that he figures out enough on the defensive end to stick around, which really when we're talking about the defense, I think that's the main selling point, right? Is as long as he's good enough, you can just look at the offense and be like, great, there are so many different ways we can use this guy. 
Well, and, and that's the thing, too, is that he will essentially be learning a new position defensively in the NBA, right? And that it could it could go, you know, a couple of different ways. But as much as we've seen in his collegiate career that he understands scouting reports, that he understands schemes, and that although he won't be the four, that also prevents him from being cooked on the perimeter, right, against like these higher level of athletes, like, he will have time to react instead of, you know, already having the play happen around him as he is the five. And again, this is not the ringing endorsement that everyone is going to want to hear, but it is an actual thing that happens in the NBA is like, again, not every five is specifically gifted playing defense. Like, but NBA teams have helped defense on the wings at the four, at the three, even very, some very gifted twos, you know, can, can make up for, a lot of different things. And as long as you are not like you're saying, Nick, just terrible or a revolving door on the defensive side of the ball, you present force and opposition, uh, you know, as just a huge human being, which he is, there are ways that, you know, defensive schemes can hide you. And again, show value that level of value that you bring on the offensive end. That is very special for his position. And I brought up Evan Mobley earlier as an example of what not to do as a screen setter. But the flip side of that is, man, just imagine a defensive front court of Evan Mobley and Azolas Tabellis, right? Like just all the things mm-hmm. that Evan Mobley can do to cover for Tabellis' weaknesses. Just say, okay, you hang back near the rim. I'll cover all the switching. I'll cover all the, you know, all the pick and roll coverages. And as long as you hang back near the rim and do what you do on the offensive end, this is going to be a really solid lineup for us, right? And or Jared Vanderbilt at Utah. You know, yeah, there are exactly. other examples, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Evan Mobley is just the super high-end example, right? But, right, you know, yeah, the muscle car. <laughs> exactly, but, you know, we're getting more and more players in the NBA these days who are 6'10 to 7 foot and are quick enough that they actually can, you know, reliably switch out on the perimeter. And as long as you have someone who can cover up some of those weaknesses, I mean... Even with Mobley, you know, he's a really good shot blocker, but, you know, he's not exactly someone who you trust against, say, the Joel Embiid's of the world, just, you know, because Joel Embiid's got like 80 pounds on the dude, right? With Tubelis, the size issue on that front is not going to be a problem. And if you can get compensated for, you know, in other ways on the defensive end, you know, again, as you mentioned, like... Evan Mobley is not someone that any team is going to be able to pry away from the Cleveland Cavaliers anytime soon, but Jared Vanderbilt was literally just traded this past offseason, right? Yeah. You can get that kind of guy, and if Tubelis turns out to be, again, I think the phrase that I'm repeating over and over with him is, if he's good enough on the mm-hmm. defensive end, then that's when you really get the benefit of his offensive gifts, and I'm not going to say that I think he's going to be average or even particularly close to average, but as long as he's solidly below average to bad and not terrible, then I think his offensive gifts compensate for it. I I wholeheartedly agree, man. I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. All right. Anything else you want to talk about today before we wrap things up? Um, No, man. I just, again, uh, I think Azulis Tubelis is a totally... Again, shout out to Totally Two Bellas. That was unintentional. I think he's a totally fine player. Sure it was. Sure um, it was. Um, you have him early second. I have him late first. I think we're seeing the same guy. That's just where like draft philosophy. You know the difference that we that we have in that aspect. That we probably have in the same range. It's just that whenever you have to put 
you know, chronological order in place, you know, it, it shuffles the deck a little bit. Um, and I think that we're in, we ended his breakdown on such a <laughs> such a low note. I think on the defensive <laughs> side, where we're just like, if he could just be okay, you know, if he could just be passable, passable. That's the aspect that makes having him in that early second to to late first round. Um, that's where that conversation takes place is like how diametrically opposed it seems that he is between, you know, those two aspects of the court. But again, there's promise and potential there because he hasn't been asked to play that position on either ends of the floor that much. So much like we talk about with young players, he, he still has potential to improve and grow because there's just things that he has not been asked to do as a big man. All right, so if you haven't yet, obviously be sure to check out the Totally Tubelis article over on NoCeilingsNBA.com. Steven, anything else you want to plug today before we close this one out? Um, no, I just, again, I want to thank everybody who has given, you know, the No Ceilings NBA podcast for you to listen. Um, it just, it's been cool to see those rap things on Spotify, seeing everybody, how much they've already been tuned into No Ceilings and, that was before we did the podcast feed merger merger where you're getting draft deeper, you know, the, the brand new created this year home in a way you're getting to listen to deep dives on Wednesdays. You get to listen to draft act tomorrow. And then the flagship, no ceilings, NBA podcast feed on a Friday. It's just crazy to think all, you know, how much more improved that we're going to be as far as listenership on this podcast feed with all of us living under one roof now. And uh, I want to give, you know, all of our, our whole team, as writers, I, I'm a fan. It's I know it sounds cheesy because I'm also a colleague, but literally a fan of all the hard work that everyone's been putting in. I read I read these articles and and talk about them with people like I'm not associated with this team, which is just you don't get that at a lot of places. So it's just fun to see. All right. Well, he is Stephen Glasky. You can find him on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. And you can, of course, find his written work on No Ceilings NBA, along with the other stable of wonderful writers who he gave such a kind shout out to just now. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can also find my written work on the No Ceilings website. I will be writing a Sleeper Deep Dives piece this week, TBD on the player, but that will be coming out on Thursday. So please check that out. If you've been enjoying the podcast, especially now that we have, as Stephen mentioned, made that merger to the One No Ceilings NBA podcast feed, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you use most. That's always incredibly appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedbacks about the deep dives portion of the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.